welcome to the At Peace Parents podcast. I'm Casey, and I'm here to empower you in your decision-making as a parent of a demand-avoidant child. My goal is to share insights that will generate aha moments and support your connection with your child. I'm a mom of two amazing little boys, one of whom is PDA, and I've worked with hundreds of parents just like you to teach them how to lead their child out of burnout and find the clarity, peace, and sense of community they need. So today I want to talk about the concept of masking and the fact that most PDA kids and teens are what's called high masking, a term that I first learned from um, Rachel Dorsey, who is an autistic speech language pathologist, and you can find her on Instagram. So first, I want to start with a story about my own life to illustrate the high masking nature of um, PDA children and how early it can start. Then I want to conceptualize it. And then I want to talk to you about why it matters so much, right? Okay. So first of all, hello, everyone. Welcome. I love to see you waving. So happy you're here. Um, First of all, my son is extremely high masking, as are many PDA children and teens. And this did not start like when he went into school. This started from basically the moment he was born because the form of masking that he did and many PDA children do is not necessarily an imitation of like neurotypical norms, like how words are spoken or how someone moves their body in a quote neurotypical way, which is often how we think of masking in the autism space of like imitating how neurotypicals act, right? But in the PDA, brain, how I conceptualize masking is actually the internalization of the threat response and that like subconscious perception of whether the infant, toddler, child, teen, adult is safe or not, right? And so when my son was born, I could not soothe him, okay? I was literally the only one who couldn't. And I would, you know, I would shush him. I did like, you know, the five S's. I I like ended up co-sleeping. I breastfed on on command. I did every possible thing I could to soothe him. And it befuddled me because he would just cry incessantly and he wouldn't sleep. He would sleep in like 15 minute spurts. And this was for months and months. Yet when someone would come over to help me, whether it was like, Um, an in-law or another grandparent or even a friend, he would immediately stop crying. And like, I would bring him to my mother-in-law's house in DC and she would swaddle him like I asked her to. And he, I would leave to get a break and he, she would text me like, oh, he was great. He slept, he didn't make a peep, right? And I'd pick him up and the screaming would start again. And it was absolutely befuddling to me. (laughs) And, you know, at a certain point, I just figured like, I guess I can't, soothe my child because I just suck. Fast forward to toddler. And I've talked to other parents where this has also been their experience. Um, the second is like when he was a toddler, he would do the same thing. He wasn't necessarily screaming. He wasn't necessarily, you know, like not sleeping, but he would be dysregulated, manic, need constant attention, wouldn't eat most of the things. But when he would go over to his grandmother's house or be at childcare, 
they would be like, oh, he's super compliant. He eats everything we give them. My mother-in-law would call it granny magic, where she would um, say he went to bed early. He ate whatever she gave him, like smoothies and toasts and bread that she would make from scratch. And again, like it would befuddle me. The third <laughs> would be as he got older, you know, he would mask at school and he would be completely fine there. And then he would have, he started having these explosive meltdowns at home with me and my husband. And it got to the point where like when we would pick him up from my mother-in-law's house, the second he saw us, he would like switch like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And it always made me feel terrible because it's like, why is he not being able to be soothed by me? So the point at which he stopped being able to mask was when he went into burnout, which was when he could no longer internalize his threat response at school or with my mother-in-law because it started to spill over into every context. And for the first time, everybody could see exactly what I meant when I said, like, I, I can't soothe him no matter what I do is ex escalating. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells, as many of you have probably said those sentences as well. This is actually a pretty common story for parents, you know, at this point with my coaching and experience, um, I have a very large end sample, but there are exceptions. So I want to talk to you about those. So first of all, not every not every PDA child will be high masking. Many of them are. There's also going to be a difference between extroverted or more explosive fight flight profiles and more introverted expressions. So for a more ex extroverted fight flight expression like my son, you might see that dichotomy of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like totally social, has a lot of friends, like seems to be doing great at school, seems to be having a great time at Grammys, and then comes home and is like, complete fight flight destroying things throwing things at you going into hour-long meltdowns with the introverted expressions this is going to be much more subtle because they often internalize that threat response in a more freeze or fawn way and so like in terms of my coaching practice what i see is often the parents come to me with this introverted expression much later when they're when they're child is a teen because they haven't been explosive but the quote masking or internalizing the threat response like at school for example won't necessarily look like extroverted outgoing you know engaging with the neurotypical kids but rather like very compliant very quiet never really says anything and if there is dysregulation putting the head on a desk and like crying right so it's going to be a very different expression but in both of those cases, high masking tendencies can be going on. And it's so important that we understand this, not just as parents, but also for professionals, practitioners, and in the medical space, because this is the primary reason I believe that these PDA kids are getting missed in terms of diagnoses, in terms of support, in terms of, you know, teachers being able to support them at school because nobody believes us, right? Like everybody's like, oh, well, they're fine here, right? And that's, it's impossible as a parent. Why this matters is like on multiple dimensions. And I want to talk about each of those dimensions. The first dimension is you. It matters for you as a parent because 
if your child is high masking, which many of these children are, you have probably spent much of your life with them feeling like you're a terrible parent because the feedback you're getting is all the negative feedback of their nervous system dysregulation. And when they go to school or when they go to be with a grandparent or they go to be with a friend, you're going to see this totally different version of them and think like, do they just not love me? Am I just not doing a good job? And those are all the thoughts that I had as well. And what's really important to understand is that because this form of masking is really based on like the perception of the amygdala, like it's not conscious, the places where they're going to internalize that threat response are really going to be the places they feel the least safe. And the places where they're going to take off the mask are going to be with or they, the people that they perceive they're the most safe with, which is usually moms and also dads. So I just want to make that like crystal clear for you as a parent so that you can see these indicators as actually, you know, indicators that you're doing a good job and that they feel safe with you. It doesn't make it any easier. I'm seeing some comments come in. It doesn't make it any easier, but I just want that for you in terms of like understanding your identity as a good parent, even if, quote, it looks like they're so much better behaved for everybody else. The second reason is that it matters is really about our children. So the primary reason, as I said, that these children don't get diagnosed is because at first they mask often through autism evaluations and they mask at school. Okay. And that's based on the perception that they're not safe. So they're going to keep themselves safe by hiding that they have this nervous system reaction because they know fight flight is like the one with the clinical psychologist we had to make the excruciating choice as parents which i'm sure you have been in this situation which is like are we going to not get the diagnosis and continue how we normally act which is like sending signals of safety to his nervous system and co-regulating him and accommodating him or are we going to remove those supports the nervous system scaffolding and the autonomy provisions that we normally do so that the doctor can see what we see when they're dysregulated. And like no parent wants to put their kid through a traumatic experience just so that a doctor believes that they're autistic, but sometimes that's what we have to do in order to get insurance coverage, in order to get, you know, in the United States, an individual education plan or a 504 for disability, right? And so it's sort of this rock and a hard place because it's like, of course, you don't want your child to be in fight or flight or apparently seeming to be dysregulated, but you also want people to believe you. And, and there's like very much a feeling and an experience among parents that they're gaslit and nobody believes them. And so ultimately with that first clinical psychologist, we did remove some of quote, the accommodations, which is like my son kept asking for help to play with things and, you know, like sort of asking me to help him build. And I was like, no, you can do it, right? Like something that I might respond with a more neurotypical child, but for a PBA child, that is taking away the nervous system support. 
And of course, he escalated and the clinical psychologist was able to see the differences. But, you know, it's a harrowing experience for parents. And, you know, the same is true at school. Like I hear over and over and the same for my experience with the school is like, you can't mask autism. Or in all my years of education, I've never seen a child who's been able to mask their autism this well, right? These are the things that parents hear. It was certainly the case, especially when we were doing like the evaluation in my son's school here, public school in Michigan, which was we had to make that decision. Like, are we going to remove the support so the school can see it or not? And there was one online evaluation that we had to advocate for and we you know, my husband was like, no, you can sit in the chair by yourself and sort of like was like, here, take a, give me your pacifier. And just that caused him enough dysregulation that the school saw it, although they didn't give him an autism accommodation. That's another story. So that's really, really important to understand. And also to know that like, you're not doing something wrong. You're not alone. This is an experience that many parents of PDA children and teens have. And then the the last reason I want to talk about why it's so important is to understand from a parent perspective, your child's well-being, right? So at first on this journey, I would always be like, Oh, he does so much better when there's a lot of people around and, you know, I just need to get him out of the house and in a situation where there's a lot of commotion so that he, quote, does better. But what I was actually seeing was his mask coming on and then being confused as to why, like, afterwards we would have a big meltdown. And I think it's important to understand that like this isn't a binary thing of like, if your child masks, this is bad and everything is, you know, going to go to shit. No, like masking. If you look at Sally Cat, who is an introverted um, expression of PDA, and she writes really extensively on masking, you'll see that there are varying um, opinions on this of like masking is not necessarily always a terrible thing it can be used as a mechanism to maneuver through the world but we do want to distinguish between like a child who you know is internalizing the threat response all day at school against their will and coming home and having like really a lot of difficulty with basic needs versus more of a code switching yes i see a question so her name is sally cat and she's on facebook or has a blog i would just google sally cat pda masking and a lot of stuff will come up, but that's a great resource for that. That's what I want to say about masking. I hope that it's helpful for you guys. I hope that it makes you feel less alone and to understand um, that, you know, it's not you, it's not your parenting. This is a feature of PDA children and the accommodation is supporting them to find spaces where they don't have to mask and where their nervous system feels safe. So, you know, what that means is you know, there's a lot to that, but finding neurodiversity affirming spaces, finding quote neurokin where they can be with other children who are autistic or ADHD and they can be quote more themselves, you know, allowing their expression, whether it's stimming or, you know, quote more autistic looking behavior in the home, which for many parents at first can be really alarming because they're seeing like oh yeah, my child actually is autistic, right? And I'm just saying that bluntly because I have all these conversations behind closed doors with clients and with families. And frankly, like I have these conversations in my own home. So I'm not going to like 
pretend like, oh yeah, every sentence I say is like completely neurodiversity affirming. So that's all I want to say. I hope you guys have a good rest of your day. Um, It's good to see everybody. Thanks everyone for being here with me at the At Peace Parents podcast. This is your source for all things related to understanding, supporting, accommodating, and advocating for your PDA child. To go deeper on any of these topics, check out my course offerings and masterclasses at the website www.atpeaceparents.com. To completely transform the way you think about and relate to your child and to bring peace and stability to your home, join us for the next cohort of the Paradigm Shift program.